The Perfect Ten. With Steve Allen, voice of the NRL and six-time Radio Award winner. Yeah, welcome to another edition of The Perfect Ten. Great to have you on board. Hope you're well. This year, absolutely flying. Can you believe it's mid-August already? And let's get down to business with my next guest, Winter Olympic silver medalist in mogul skiing, Matt Graham. I've known Matt since he was about 14, and it's been such a pleasure to be a part of his journey as a sports reporter with MBN News and also with the Danica Clark Foundation, where Matt was the scholarship holder for three years. We've also become great mates in that time, and I'd have to say... Matt is easily the most humble champion I've come across in 30 years of covering sport. I also love his family, including his mum, Deb, and his dad, who's a larger-than-life character, Steve Hotdog Graham. The Perfect Ten, proudly brought to you by our naming rights partner, Robson Civil Projects, a third-generation company, and this one is fairly close to heart. Matt's pop, Peter, ran the business and is now chairman of the company. His uncle Mark is the maintenance manager, his uncle Grant is managing director, and his brother David is also part of the team as a project engineer. Matt's doing a double degree at Newcastle University and recently did some work experience with Robson Civil Projects. I'll tell you more about that at the end of the episode. Right now, though, let's relive that magical night in Pyeongchang. This audio, courtesy of Channel 7, and your commentator... Basil Zempelis. Young man from Gosford away. Good luck, Matty. They spin 10. That is a clean run. Fantastic. Look at the reaction from the Australian and the Aussie crowd. What will the judges think? He's in the gold medal position. He waits. It's Kingsbury's gold medal, and Matt Graham of Australia has taken silver in the men's moguls. Such an amazing night. So many of Matt's rivals crashed out along the way, and then Matt in the gold medal position until that final run by Mikhail Kingsbury. Thanks again to Channel 7 for the use of that audio. By the way, Matt won the medal at around about midnight Australian Eastern time, and then it was party time in South Korea and also back on the Central Coast. So let's get cracking. Matt Graham, welcome to The Perfect Ten. Hey, thanks for having me, Steve. Great to see you, my friend. And uh, let's start the podcast on the greatest night of your sporting life in Pyeongchang a couple of years ago now. Uh, Do you constantly replay that moment in your mind uh do you reminisce uh, occasionally you know it's definitely not a constant replay but um yeah it wasn't it was only a few days ago the australian olympic team reshared uh, my final runs from the uh 2018 winter olympics so that was pretty cool to re- reminisce uh over the weekend but um yeah, it's not something i'm thinking about all the time but occasionally i'll i might bust out the medal and have a look at it every now and then uh, how's your life changed since that night oh, i mean Hasn't changed a whole lot, more or less just the same person, you know. It's um, still go to uni, still train just as much and just as hard. So it's, um, everything's more or less just the same. A few things have changed, you know. It's uh, obviously opened up a few doors with some sponsorships and whatnot. But um, uh, yeah, you know, still, I still like to see myself as being the same person. For our listeners that 
have got no idea what Matt achieved that night. It was one of the greatest finals ever seen. I'll let you tell the story, but at one stage, you're in the gold medal position with just one skier left to come, the great Mikhail Kingsbury. Tell our listeners what unfolded that night. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, you know, it was a long night. It was um, yeah, freezing cold, a little bit snowy over in Korea. And uh, yeah, I had a bit of a rough qualification position. I was sitting in ninth place after the qualification round, which I wasn't too happy about. I thought I did a really good run, but to be sitting in ninth was a little bit um, disheartening. And then, um, you know, on the finals night, it was a new day and I was able to go out and uh, put three really solid runs down and, um, yeah, finish up with a silver medal, which was obviously, you know, lifetime highlight for me. But, yeah, I guess the moment once I did that final run, it was my best run of the night and I knew it was most likely good enough for a, for a medal. It was just kind of dependent on which colour. It was, um, yeah, just this ultra feeling of relief. You know, after all the years of hard work uh, that I put into it to, um, yeah, put it down when it really counted was uh, what was most important to me, I think. I tell you, it feels surreal now that, uh, you know, it's almost two years ago and you, you made a tactical choice. Tell me about skiing down the right side of the course. Yeah, it was just one of those things. Like in mogul skiing, there's usually three or four different four lines, mogul lines that you can take. A lot of people kind of tend to stick to one or two lines. I went out on a limb and went out in the skier's right line, which was, um, wasn't was being used by many skiers because there was a few little funky uh, turns and entry and exits out of the jumps were a little, a little tricky, so it kind of turned a lot of people off. Um, but we had like a whole week to train, which is more than usual, and I just decided to really make that line my home after a couple of days and um, really stick to my guns on it. And I knew it was going to pay off in the long run if I was to make the continue to make the rounds in the finals because in mogul skiing it's kind of like a motocross track like the more people ski a line the more dug out and rutted the moguls get and it gets really tricky and and uh, catchy so my line which wasn't getting skied very often was um yeah managed to stay really consistent throughout the night maddie what were your thoughts of the olympic champion the world champion legend in the sport mikhail kingsbury who just lays down a run for the ages yeah i mean it was um his run on that night was pretty damn exceptional um he was having a bit of troubles throughout the uh, early final rounds you know usually what you expect from mikhail kingsbury is to uh you know he comes out he wins qualifications and he wins basically every final round but um he had a few hiccups and mistakes so he was um you know it wasn't the normal mikhail kingsbury we were used to which kind of sh- opened up the door a little bit for someone to come along and potentially take him off the top step but yeah, I mean, he just put it, he put it down when it when it counted, and um, it goes to show that you know he's he's he is the greatest ever in our sport, and um, yeah, it's nice to. I mean, it would, be, it would have been nice to beat him, but it's, if I'm going to come second to someone, coming second to the greatest isn't so bad. By the way, this is where we had the silver medal party, one of the greatest nights in Central Coast history. What in the world do we do if you win gold? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, sitting in my living room now, thinking about uh, that party was pretty fun, but. Um, yeah, I guess we'll have to go another step further if I get a gold, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's a key question. I mean, immediately after the Winter Olympics, you were incredibly motivated, but it's a four-year campaign. So how have you kept the fire burning and what's your form been like in the World Cup Series? Uh, yeah, so it's been a bit of an up-and-down roller coaster. I mean, um, I ended up in the second place at the World Championships in February in, a year ago in 2020, which was uh, the highlight of my season last year. You know, that was the major event so I was really happy to peak there again after finishing second in the um, Olympics the year before this past season was not too bad I finished up the World Cup to in fifth place it was kind of always on the cusp of being it could have gone either way I was uh, really consistent making pretty much every super final which is the last final in our sport and um, yeah basically a lot of fourth and fifth places so from 
here moving forward it's about just polishing up polishing up my run a little bit more and then um tweaking a few things whether we will try and do implement two new jumps or whatever moving forward just to kind of get that little bit of a competitive edge when you've climbed the mountain like you have where you've won an olympic medal is there just this inner resilience that you know that you can get the job done on the big night oh yeah that's i guess that's something i've always that competitiveness has always been in me since i was a kid um i've always wanted to do really well and um you know perform at the big moments even when i was you know competing locally here on the central coast it was i always wanted to just go out and and demolish the competitors um so that's you know that sort of competitive drive still in me and i still love the sport so that's kind of what that's what's keeping me going through this uh i guess middle to end period of my career you know it's probably these next olympics are probably my last ones and we're less than two years out now so it's um you know, I've pretty much got two more of everything at the moment. That's kind of the way I'm, I'm viewing it. But um, yeah, this I guess the current coronavirus pandemic's putting a little bit of a hold on the preparations. But uh, yeah, it's kind of nice to have a little bit of downtime and get the get the body rested before we really ramp up next year. Wow, so a real bombshell. You've announced that the next ones will be your last Olympics, which yeah, I thought you might go to four, but three-time Olympian would be sensational. Do you have to qualify or are you guaranteed of a spot? Yeah, so qualifying for us starts, um, we're supposed to start in December this year and then we'll run for a bit over 12 months. So we'll have about, pretty much every World Cup event is a qualification, um, Olympic qualification event. So we'll have about 20 or so qualification events and basically your accumulative rank is more or less what will qualify you for the Olympics. But for me, I'm not too concerned about that. It's it's more about just staying healthy because I'm, already in a good position uh, to qualify and it's just about really peaking at the ne- next olympics you said about new maneuvers have you changed your act is there anything new on or off the snow for you at the moment as we start to count down towards beijing yeah well i guess the sport's ever changing and um and these days the i guess the powers to be in the sport tweak the rules every now and then kind of like you know the nrl they change rules every uh, each season to try and make the game evolving so for us like whether that's uh, putting more emphasis on grabs and off-axis tricks versus high rotations, stuff like that. So that sort of changes from changes a little bit from year to year. So yeah, just looking at ways to really maximise the score moving forward is kind of what's important. So I wouldn't say there's anything too new that I would put into my run, but it's just tweaking it and whether I'd throw in uh, grabs or um, extra rotations would be the uh, deciding factor there. We said about Mikhail Kingsbury. Are there any other new contenders? And give me a snapshot. Who are the best guys in the world at the moment? Yeah, so Mikhail Kingsbury, he's got, um, in the past 12 months, he's had a lot of competition from a Japanese kid whose his name's Ikuma Hiroshima, I think. Is he the one that crashed out in Pyeongchang? Yeah, he had a big wipeout in Pyeongchang. And um, he's always been like a super talented, freakish human and does crazy stuff. He just goes pedal to the metal and does huge jumps and it either really pays off and no one can beat him or sometimes it you know works against him and he and he blows up but he's get he seems to be getting a lot more consistent as he's getting older and um and more mature but and he's really starting to push Mikael Kingsbury you know he's he finished second uh overall in the World Cup standings the last two years and uh this last year I think he won two or three events so he's getting he's getting really good and really pushing Mick as Mick gets older and then um, number three in the world at the moment is uh, Ben Cavett from France, and he's doing really well. He's getting he's a little bit older than me, and he's uh, really, really uh, finding form and becoming really consistent. So he's a really good competitor. How do you feel like you've evolved as an athlete? I think it's um, I don't I think I'm aging pretty well as an athlete. You know, my body's in good shape. I've been I've had a good career as far as injuries and stuff. I haven't had too many major injuries, so um, I think that's going to help 
moving forward and into the future. Yeah, I think I've still got a lot of a lot of potential, a lot of room to move up, and my ceiling is quite high. So that's there, always there, motivating me to you know continually to try get the best out of myself. And then um, at the moment within Australia, we have a really good team. We have really good uh, coaching staff, and um, my teammates are really good. And there's a few young kids that are coming up who are really starting to starting to push us so um you know that kind of young energy from them is really spurring us older guys on for a lot of our listeners the key question is always how does a young boy from the central coast dominate around the world and and win an olympic medal in this sport where the nearest ski fields are what six hours from here tell us about the love of the snow with your family uh but what does it mean to you yeah it was just um obviously started out of a lot of time spent in the car driving down to perisher you know Dad skied a little bit growing up and uh, eventually convinced mum to learn to ski and then she fell in love with it and the fact that mum and dad both really enjoyed it and got us into it and then the whole family enjoyed it. So for us, it was like a family vacation for us every year when I was really young and then um, it eventuated into a weekend thing where I joined a club program down at Perisher and that's when I kind of got the first taste of skiing as a sport. Yeah, from there, just that with my competitive nature and getting into it quite young and um it all just evolved super quick and i was always just you know i remember being being a kid and always just striving to be as good as the older guys and you know i was competing with and being competitive with guys who were you know when i was 12 they were 18 to 20 so it was um i was always trying to you know push myself in that way and uh yeah i think just the love for the sport and really enjoying what i was doing was um a big motivator for me when i was young you know because it the better I got, the more fun I had. And that's kind of, uh, I think, what really pushed me. Matty, when did you first see moguls in the Olympics? And when was the light bulb moment where you said, this is what I want in the future? So the first Olympics, I would have watched uh, Winter Olympics and specifically watched the moguls was in 2006. At that point, I'd been in the sport and knew what the sport was for a few years. And I also, um, you know, we happen to have Dalberg Smith, who was Canadian, but moved to Australia and competed for Australia and won us a gold medal at those Olympics. So that was quite an inspiring moment for me. Yeah, from that point on, it was always the Olympics was the goal. Before that, you know, I wanted to be the best ever, but I didn't know really know about the Olympics as far as mogul skiing. It was more about I just wanted to be the best skier. But then, uh, yeah, once I watched the 2006 Olympics and watched Dale win gold medal there, it was, uh, yeah, it was all, um, that was my focus. A lot of people might not know, but you could have been a world champion sailor. Did you have to make a choice at some point because it was the Sabos where you're a national champion? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, you know, you could say you've, you could have been every, anything uh, in hindsight. But, oh, you're too uh, humble, Matty. Uh, you're a champion in that sport as well. Uh, yeah, I was, I was really competitive as a sailor when I was young. Um, you know, mum and dad, they ended up, they grew up on the water here on the Central Coast at Point Frederick. So they, um, they were sailors and then they got all us kids into sailing. So it was... Um, for a while there, that was, you know, a big, strong passion of mine and still is to this day. And for, a, yeah, I wasn't sure whether I was going to go down the sailing path or the skiing path, but obviously chose skiing. And, um, you know, I was a good sailor. Whether I would have made it all the way is a big question. You know, I'm quite a small dude, so <laughs> I think that might have hurt me a little bit in sailing. But, um, yeah, I think the I think the drive was there to be real, a really good sailor. But, uh, yeah. Have you followed the careers of local sailors like Tom Slingsby, who was 
I think a five-time laser world champion and Olympic champion now in the America's Cup. He's just had a phenomenal career. Nathan Outeridge just up the road. Tom Burton, who's a local as well, who won an Olympic medal as well. Have you followed those guys? Uh, yeah, you know, a lot of those guys, especially Tom Slingsby growing up here on the coast, um, you know, he was always sailing at Gosford when I was young. And then um, and he's a good family friend of ours. And then yeah, Nathan Outeridge I had quite a bit to do with when I was getting towards the end of my sailing career, I guess. He was, he was at the time living here at Gosford and I was sailing five or six times a week down at the sailing club and he'd be out every day in some sort of boat. So we'd always see each other. And then um, Tom Burton, funnily enough, who won the gold medal in the Rio Olympics, he was um, you know, a good friend of my brother's and good friend of mine, and he uh, we grew up sailing with him, so it was good to see him really, you know, push through. It was funny when we, when my older brother Dave and I went down the skiing path, and we're both in the New South Wales Institute of Sport. Tom Burton was also in the New South Institute of Sport, but for sailing, so. We'd occasionally cross paths in the gym in uh, Sydney, which was pretty cool. Has there ever been an offer for you to go back from those guys? Uh, because we know that uh, Kai Hurst is now involved in sailing, so they're not afraid to poach someone who's a star in another sport. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I wouldn't mind doing a Sydney to Hobart or something, but maybe that, maybe being an Olympic silver medalist might be a little publicity stunt for a team to get me on board. But we'll see. I mean, I definitely want to get. I will get back into sailing when I finish skiing and I'm back home consistently. But it'd probably more just be recreational weekend uh, dinghy sailing and then, um, you know, just doing it for fun out on a windsurfer or a kiteboard. You said about your stature. Uh, what are you? Uh, about five foot seven and a half. Seven and a half? Yeah. <laughs> I like to hang on to that half, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> five seven seems a little short. Hey, uh, so what makes the perfect mogul skier? What kind of build? Uh, there's a, it, it's a pretty big range, but I mean... It's all more or less power to weight. Like if you can be a bigger guy, if you have the strength and um, I guess mobility to, to uh, cope with it. These days, a lot of the mogul skis tend to be a little bit shorter around my size and a little bit up. So about 170 to 175 centimeters. And then within that, you kind of range, your weight kind of ranges between high 60s to mid to high 70s, depending on your build. You're excited at the moment. Uh, Brisbane is about to lead the world in uh, water ramps is that correct yeah so we're about to well i guess for the people who don't know we do a, a an off snow skill training um camp called uh we call it water jump training where we jump into a pool or a dam and we go down metal or wooden ramp with old skis on and wear a wetsuit and a life jacket and that's where we, we practice and learn a lot of our new skills and tricks that we'll perform on snow there's a facility being built up in brisbane at the moment which is going to be world class uh it's going to be into a nice pool up at the Sleeman Sports Complex, I think it's called. You know, hopefully with these current restrictions, they ease enough to allow us to go and train domestically, which will be awesome. But yeah, I mean, the restrictions and what happens with this pandemic will kind of determine that. We're really excited to hit the ground running once we can. And, uh, you know, at the moment, we've we've got a little water and facility down in Melbourne, which I've, I've used since I was a kid. And it's, um, you know, it's more, more or less jumping into a dirty smelly pond um so the one up north will be a nice little change for us yeah uh, sleeman sports center it's about 25 minutes south of brisbane airport and just off the motorway for you guys so really accessible who inspires you now i think you know who inspires me now there's a lot of uh not necessarily people just in the sport of snow skiing and you know i like to look at uh, sportsmen and sportswomen from other sports who are doing really well especially as they get older like for the moment i'm really into my tennis like i love watching the 
you know the big three go at, going at it as they get older in in tennis is pretty cool and then um you know a lot of surfing as well like the likes of kelly slater the fact that he's still you know able to do the things he does at his age is pretty pretty unbelievable um and then within my sport you know i definitely look up to the the top guy mick Mikael kingsbury you know he's i guess he'd be 28 this year so he's you know he's getting on and he's uh you know his ability to maintain and continually get better is definitely inspiring for us uh, younger guys who are still uh, trying to improve. And then I guess probably the biggest inspiration in my life, probably my older brother. You know, growing up was um, I always looked up to him and did what tried to do what he did. And you know, he was a pretty good skier himself. He went to you know did a couple of seasons on the World Cup tour and World Championships. So you know, when I was younger, I was always trying to keep up with him. Whether it was running around the backyard. You know, behind the ski boat, out in the sailing boat, or up on the slopes, it was. Um, so he's he influenced me a lot growing up. Yeah, fantastic answer. What about the biggest sacrifice you've made to get to where you are? I guess there's a lot of social aspects you have to sacrifice as a sports person, especially a winter sports athlete. You know, we can't we can't just get up in the morning and go down to the local pool and uh, train that way. We have to travel overseas and spend, you know, six to eight months of the year away from home. So a lot of the social aspects probably are a bit of a sacrifice you know with your friendships but i think it also shows who your friends your really close friends are you know those ones that are, are always here when you come back and are always always uh happy to catch up and and uh see how you're going they're the ones that you really um cherish and then obviously um i guess the financial sacrifice is pretty big for uh, mum and dad for a, a long time there it was um you know i think it's only like the top five percent of sports people in the world really make anything of it and that's in even in the big professional sports so it's um it was a big financial sacrifice for mum and dad which i'm forever grateful for but uh yeah i mean i was just lucky and fortunate enough that they were able to support me the way they were and then that they were willing to support me i guess um but yeah i guess they're the main sacrifices as a sports person you said there's been some endorsements since you've been back in fact i see you the face of one company that's are they based in the hunter and you know it's a fantastic ag campaign yeah the um red energy picked me up just after the uh olympics and um there's a lot of correlation between i guess red energy and and myself you know they're um 100 owned by the snowy hydro which is an australian owned um renewable energy company down in the snowy mountains so uh, me being a, a snow sports athlete, there's uh, some correlation there as they're quite big down in the snowies. They're a great company to be a part of. They were really excited to have me and, um, and welcome me into their team really, really well over the past two years and, um, and moving forward. So uh, yeah, really happy to be with them. Most of our funding as sports people in Australia, especially in Olympic disciplines, comes from the government, Australian government uh, funding. So um, that's all about purely result-based. So, you know, up until, basically up until I placed fourth place in the world championships in 2013 a lot of it was off our own back there was a little bit of support even locally you know with uh the Danica Clark Foundation and um certain things around the Central Coast community and then also um through the institutes as well there was um some support that way and then it wasn't until I got a fourth place at the world championships that it was like all right I'm, I'm funded for and um I can do this for do this for real now Matty, uh, we're getting the wind-up from our producer on the Perfect 10. Are you super confident you can get the job done in Beijing? Yeah, you've got to be confident. You know, you've got to believe. And if you believe and work hard, then, you know, you're going to give yourself the best chance to uh, get what you want. Matt Graham, Winter Olympic silver medalist. Thanks for joining us on the Perfect 10. Thanks, Steve. Cheers. Winter Olympic medalist Matt Graham on the Perfect 10. A quiet, humble champion. And I've got to say, that night in Pyeongchang is one of the greatest nights of sport I've ever seen. 
and that's part of an exclusive club. Australia has won just 15 Winter Olympic medals in total. I spoke to him yesterday, he's currently in Jindabyne, and he told me he has nine weeks of work experience still to go at Robson Civil Projects. He told me that he's loved it more than he could have expected. And he's also been really impressed with how incredibly supportive Robson Civil Projects have been for undergrads, almost finished their degree, who are looking to gain some experience in the workplace. So if you're an aspiring engineer, make sure you contact a third generation family run business, Robson Civil Projects. Hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Perfect 10. Great to have you on board. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll catch you next time. The Perfect 10.